The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hi, I'm Rebecca Lowe, host of NBC's coverage of the Premier League. Welcome along to the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast, where you can get the latest can't-miss content from NBC's coverage of one of the best leagues in the world. Plus, be sure to tune in on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern for Premier League mornings on NBCSN. But for now, we hope you enjoy the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. Aston Villa came into this game losing to Tottenham on opening weekend, lost against Bournemouth last weekend. That was the performance, but it was really the result, Robbie Musto, that you were calling for that mm. Villa needed oh. to kickstart their season. I mean, you said it when that when it's going well at Villa Park, it's some place. The whole end there, the big cop behind the mm. goal. I mean, that's huge. The feel-good factor, the momentum is, is recovered again from promotion, etc. They needed it so badly, defended very, very well. They were deep, and we talked about can they keep defending this way? There will be shot that went off the post. It could have been 1-1, but they will take it. And if they can play with that spirit, that defensive strength for the most part, and be as quick and as threatening on the counter-attack, that can work over the course of the season. Not always easy, and we haven't seen that many times of teams that bunker in and play fast counter-attack, but it can work for Villa. You think? You agree? I do, and um, just a moment for, for Dean Smith. What a difficult job the modern manager position is. And, and to go back, and you said it, you know, the club he supported as a, as a child... To, to be there and have sat in those stands like those fans did and watch those fans and kind of think back to sitting in those seats in his first Premier League win. And this isn't a smash and, and grab job. This was, you know, I remember when they said they weren't going to do a parade because Aston Villa is a big enough club that doesn't need a parade, permit, a parade for getting promoted. They were going to show their intention. Today was the intention that they have to not just be a team that survives, but be a team where he made big decisions. You know, bringing on Gilbert, bringing on um, uh, Hata, and, and, and changing things and seeing the impact, bringing El Ghazi off the bench, he scores. Everything he did today as a manager worked. And it's a team that I think has a lot of strength and can stay up in this league. And, Robbie, big picture as a club. I mean, I can't remember the last time the atmosphere in a Premier League no. game at Villa Park was as good as what we just saw there at the end. Can That's you? Right. No, I can't. And we talked about it a little bit. It was kind of under Lambert and other managers before. It was a struggle and the fans were fed up with seeing kind of average football. This will give them hope. It's a long season, mm. you know, and... It looks like in some ways they've won a, a cup at the end there. Yeah. But it's so great. And Dean Smith stood there, a pal of mine, and I, I watched him taking it all in with not too much emotion whenever his players to come in. And you kind of said the words of the song, good times never felt so good. He's been a Villa fan all his life, and now he's manager to, to witness his team win that, those first three points in the Premier League with that atmosphere, that's got to be special for him. Yeah, maybe not since the days of Martin O'Neill, perhaps, that we've seen the Holt end in quite such strong voice. Let's talk Everton, shall we? Not a good day for Marco Silva's men. Robbie, you picked out a number of poor attacking moments throughout the 90 minutes right. that you were just huffing and puffing about. Well, it's just like they got a lot of possession and Villa were OK with them having possession. There's a, you know, there's a stat in, in the coaching stuff and all that. It's, it's um, final attacking third entries. They had a tonne of attacking third entries and we've just pulled out a few wasted opportunities shots behind the goal final balls that weren't controlled I mean we're going to see it right here in front of our very eyes I mean for, for, 
for Marcus Silva's men, the attacking play was was awful. And given the fact they've brought in attacking players, I mean, look at this. I mean, it's just really surprising, Carl. Given the amount of opportunities in these areas, they didn't do anything better with it. Yeah, it was less past the ball, it was more past the buck. They, all, they were sort of putting the ball into someone else's territory to say, you do something with it now. And it, it just lacked ingenuity, it lacked dynamism. And, and I talked before the game about Richarlison. Look at this pass just go right by him. And, and Richarlison was completely anonymous in this game. And the players that normally knit things together, it, it just seemed to, to come so difficult to them. And instead of simplifying and speeding things up, things started to get more touches, more complication, and they never found the rhythm. Yeah, and when the, the passes did get there, Carl, you know, the final bit from the strikers, again, wasn't good. I mean, it... it Theo Walcott this time, it was other players in other situations that didn't do enough when they did manage to get two or three, four passes together. Do you think next game and next up Everton play after the uh, Football League Cup game, they play Wolves at home in their next game, do you think it's time for a Wobi and Moyes Keane to be trusted to start? For me, yes. And I, I would have put them in this game. I said before we chatted about the game, this is nowhere near the best starting lineup for me, the 11 players that went into this game. And Marco Silva, he's had time now, Rebecca. He's had money, he's had windows. It, it's time to deliver now. And the Everton fans have been super patient. The owner's been really patient with the money that he's put in over, over a period of time now that Marco Silva's got to start to deliver. And you talked about, Carl, the body language of some of the players, Richarlison you talked about. Yeah. It's just not what you think it should be at the start of the season. And also, he's, he's new to the side, but give him mean, boy, did they miss his big presence in the middle to be physical and to, and to break up some of the, the fluidity and the, especially the counterattacking ability of Aston Villa. And I just think at, at some point we're going to be back into another season where we say, God, Everton would just, if they had a number nine they could count on, they'd be there. And at some point you have to say, if for Charleston as good as he's been in the past and Calvert-Lewin as much as you want him to be that number nine, you have to give some of these other players reps. I want to see Moyes Keane from yeah. the start, yeah. give him an opportunity to show what he's, what he's worth or if he's worth it. 19 years old, Moise Keane. I mean, that will be a lot of pressure on his shoulders. But well, as you say, there isn't really another it, it's option. The, it's the old now. saying, if you're, good, if you're good enough, you're old enough. I mean, there are younger players. I mean, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is starting about talking about Greenwood. The 17-year-old yeah. is their best finisher. His first run, Moise Keane, when he came mm. onto the left-hand side with a couple of little jigs. off your seat. I was like, well, there you go. Look, I, yeah. I feel it's like exciting. he's going to make something happen. happen more than Dominic Cavalier. And it's just the way it is. And we'll see. Marcus Silva's in charge. Really, Charles, I'm sure, wants to play down the middle. Marcus Silva recently said, I see him as a right-sided player. That's where he's at his best. Maybe that's some of the body language from the Brazilian. I don't know. It's a really good day for Frank Lampard. And, Robbie, we talked about it before the game. It was just about getting this win, almost no matter how it came today. Almost. It was a really good day for Frank Lampard. Team selection, going back to Tamri Abraham instead of Levi Giroud. The late change, bringing in Ross Barkley, I thought played well, generally, uh, instead of Pedro on the outside. And having the trust in those young players to go forward and be more clinical than he wanted. And finally, game management was better in the second half, Rebecca. Just a one header against the crossbar. So that, as he said, they worked on and fixed and it was better in the second half from Chelsea. Looking very much on the positive, it's such a young Chelsea. Yeah. Fans are going to be excited. This feels like a new Chelsea. It does, and, and you love the patience that Frank Lampard is showing in these young players. And when Tammy, Tammy Abraham scores and immediately sprints over to Frank Lampard on the sideline, gives him that hug, it, te it tells you that these young players are saying, you believe in me, I want to give you my best. And, and Christian Pulisic ends up being the last one where today's a, pro a progress in his performances. Now, I know, and Frank Lampard knows, he has more than he offered today, but today was a solid performance where these young players are starting to perform for him. You would have not found many people oh. at 1-1, probably anywhere, that thinks Palace would have come away with all three points. Carl. Everyone thought the only possible outcome right now is Manchester United coming back and, and, and 
And you even said it. This will feel very, very old Manchester United. We all sat here and felt the energy and the swell and the, and, and, and the optimism of this looks more clear-cut. There's intention to what they're doing at the end. David Gea started to make some mistakes at the end of last year. It's just quite remarkable that their most solid player over the last decade yeah. is starting to make some mistakes. And, and, and Rashford missing a penalty. I mean, it's just... Is it, is it in his head, in their heads about the penalties now? The VAR thing, you know, we'll, later in the show we'll go on and look at that. I'm astonished that that wasn't turned around. That was a, a clear and obvious error for me that the, the referee made, but VAR allowed it to continue. And, and it's a historic win for Crystal Palace. Yeah. But it doesn't come on a day where Manchester United were bad. I mean, Crystal Palace, one counterattack, one long ball. And you say that's poor defending, yeah. but Manchester United, there was actually good spots, which yeah. sounds strange to say in a historic win for Palace. Smash and grab? Yes. Totally. Let's hear it from the Arsenal manager Unai Emery. But first, here is Jurgen Klopp. A brilliant game of my side. So early in the season, always when we have to explain some things about how it doesn't work, we have to mention it. But I today I have to mention it as well because it was outstanding. It was outstanding. It's a so, uh, performance full of power, full of energy, full of greed, um, full of um, passion. What do you, I think you need to have against uh, such a good team uh, like Arsenal? Overall, yes, then they scored the goal and again they have um, the last 10 minutes maybe I saw possession 53-74. It didn't feel like this over 90 minutes, maybe over 80 minutes it must have been completely different. Realistically though, at the moment, how far behind Liverpool and Manchester City do you think Arsenal are? Well, it's, we can be realistic but uh, we, can, we can fight against them and we can, we can be closer to them. Uh, today we lost, but uh, I think also in uh, in some moment we can we can use and we can take confidence, being closer to them, and uh, we are going to do our way. And uh, for me today, uh, uh, without the result, for me it's a good spirit we we show, and also I think uh, we can be proud of our work, our progress. But we need to confirm, for example, next week against Tottenham at home. Disappointing day for Arsenal after a good start under Emery this season. Liverpool's perspective, the body of evidence is three Premier League games in the Super Cup. Are they better? I think they will become better this season. I think, I can't say they're better right now because the games previous to this one, they look a little bit shaky. Defence hasn't been as tight as it was last year. Um, but I think they will be better. There are periods last season where we talked about it where they weren't quite finding their flow and the, the conversation was they're not as good as last year, yet, of course, we know that defensively they were miles better. I think this season they can be that incredible attacking team and be the defensive strong side that we saw of last year, which could take them to the title. I've tipped them for the title, and I feel right now that, that yesterday's game felt to me like they're right at it now. This is them at pretty much near their best. Those front three players, I know we talk about them a lot, Rebecca, but the, the fact that their energy, the fitness levels, the quality that they show every single week is stunning to me With on the back of great defending as well. Of course, they need Alisson back, but I think they're looking really, really good. And, Carl, to be able to beat a rival, and they are a top-six rival in Arsenal, so comprehensively, they were streets ahead as we were sitting here watching that game yesterday. I mean, the, the gap was pretty remarkable, and a stark difference of Manchester City and Liverpool just, just being in a league above other teams that are trying to chase. And Arsenal are better than they've been in the past, better than last season. Tactically, em Emery struggled big time in that game, but before we just touch on that, you know, for Liverpool... Just little nuances on how they're getting better. Oxley Chamberlain's healthy as an option, and, and Henderson's moved into a more comfortable position. But Emery's got some questions answered tactically. In what way? 
he just set up the team, and it's okay to set it up with the wrong tactics at the beginning. But mm-hmm. but to stick with it for so long it was the 80th minute before he changed to a top you, three, where it seemed obvious to move to that. Yeah, and you've got Lacazette, who is your one of your main players at the football club, mm-hmm. is still on the bench, like into like 75, 80 minutes. It's stunning to me. I just don't get it. I he just did make a change, and, and he, when he came on, he did have an effect, didn't it, he? Lacazette? And the first change he refuses was to play those guys together. Aubameyang and Lacazette. It's kind of strange. I mean, Norwich. Uh, gave a better challenge to, to Liverpool at Anfield. I mean, Norwich went after Liverpool mm. much more. Now, the scoreline was similar and, and worse, but the second half almost outplayed Liverpool at times. But the why doesn't he play a Bamiyang and Lacazette question was asked all the way through last season answer as well. He doesn't answer it. So let's hear from the manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, after we've heard from the victorious Roy Hodgson. Roy, I'm not sure if you know, but the last time Palace beat United home or away, John Solarco and Ian Wright were the goal scorers. Many congratulations. Yeah, thanks very much. I actually read that in the, new, in the uh, programme, so I was aware of it, but it was a heroic victory, I thought. I thought the, the players worked so very hard for it. You know, when they got the penalty, I thought, well, that's unfortunate for us. And then, of course, they did manage to get the equaliser, but it was strong to come back and win the game after all. So I think it was one of those performances where... The whole of the team and even the substitutes can take an awful lot of credit. Another missed penalty. Did that have a sort of a mental effect on the team? Do you think? No, I don't. Uh, well, if you score a penalty, that's a different case. It's if you if you miss it, I thought they got the the act together second half. I thought we we couldn't fault them at all. Efforts uh, just didn't hit target, and that's um, you know I don't know how many shots we we have, how many chances we've got. Maybe we should have had one, maybe two, uh, or at least one, maybe two, uh, two penalties uh, extra. Yeah, the, the one you had, obviously, you missed. Is that a concern for you now? Two games, two missed penalties. They, uh, if you score them, this, it's a different scenario. But that's that's part and parcel of it. You miss, uh, and they step up and try to score. That's uh, sometimes it happens. Uh, I've missed a few penalties myself, so we'll just. Uh, the more we get into those positions, get more penalties, we score goals. Robbie, you know what storylines in the Premier League, they build as each week goes by. And with Rashford missing that penalty, the storyline of the penalty situation at Manchester United becomes a stronger narrative. As a former player, is that something that will be bothering the United players moving into the next game? I don't think so, Rebecca. Maybe for the next game or so, it's going to settle down. I don't, I don't think it's going to become a thing, if you know what I mean. And I know the talk around it, and, and we've kind of debated about it a little bit, and I don't agree with the, the policy right now, but I don't think it's going to be something that they're going to lose sleep over. Um, who knows going forward who's going to take the next one? Is it is Martial coming to the mix now? Do they go back to Pogba? I don't know. I, I just think, bigger picture, creativity in midfield is an issue, in my opinion. Um, we know that Herrera left the football club. There was nobody brought into midfield for United that was going to add that little bit of quality. There was many mentioned, many names mentioned to improve that. They never brought anybody in. And the reliance on Martial and Rashford to get the goals concerns me a little bit. But this, isn't a, this wasn't an awful United performance. It wasn't. I mean, the VAR thing we'll talk about was crazy to me how that wasn't uh, given. And that probably would have been a red card. Um, so a bad day, of course. But missing a penalty, some bad decisions, some a little bit bad finishing and, and creativity issues is the reason for the defeat. But not alarm bells for me at United. Agree? Yeah, I agree. I, and the crazy thing is when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer first got there, he was accruing points and winning games, but, but performances weren't all that consistent. It was, it was him just, it was the new manager bounce, and it was the freedom that he gave the team of going to express themselves, and they enjoyed that. But there was, there was really no strategy. There was no structure to it. 
this, this was a better performance than we saw during that stretch where they were winning games when he first got there. Now, lapses where one direct ball where a center back doesn't drop, which you're taught at the youth level, and Harry Maguire being as expensive as he is should mm. know that, an international. But there were so many good things in the way they played. I agree with the creativity. Um, Pogba this season has dropped a little bit deeper, which is fine. He's creating from a deep position. But Lingard or whoever has been mm. put ahead of him isn't really picking up the, mm. the strings and bringing Martial and Rashford into good spots. Let's hear from his manager, Frank Lampard, after we've heard from Tammy Abraham. Before today, obviously these are your first ever Chelsea goals. You had scored 60 for other clubs. Did you always believe that it would happen at Chelsea? You'd finally find the back of the net in the first team. Something I've always dreamed about doing. You know, um, I've always wanted to play for my childhood club and um, obviously score, being a first team and score. And that's what I've done today, so I'm over the moon. Is there relief too that you've finally got that win for the manager? <laughs> I wouldn't say relief, but you know we knew we needed to win. Um, first two games of the season was never easy, but you know we knew that this game was very important to us um, to get the three points, which was massive to us. So I'll say, yeah, sort of, kind of relief. How fitting was it that the source of your goals today came from the young players, given that this is the youngest Chelsea team in the Premier League for 25 years? Is that right? I knew, I knew we were young, um, and I'm pleased for them. I'm really pleased for them, uh, particularly Tammy, because of what. Uh, Tammy, his first goals for us, he's starting and he's competing and uh, two really good goals and a winning goal and obviously Mason as well, I've spoken a lot about Mason but I don't want to just talk about them, I want to talk about the, all the players out there today because those conditions are hard, it's hot here against a good team and we absolutely controlled huge parts of the game so I'm not just worried about the young ones, I'm pleased for them but I'm pleased for the team and the squad as a whole. A good day for Frank Lampard. Kyle, the Chelsea Academy has had some bad press over the years for creating great players and really promising players, but, clubs. <laughs> but sending them out on loan and then other clubs will then end up picking them up. Um, in a funny way, the transfer window ban, mm. forcing Frank Lampard to use what he has, plus his belief in youth, signifies a fresh era, doesn't it, at this Chelsea team? Uh, absolutely. Um, we, 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 I remember us saying that last year where there was maybe a silver lining with this transfer ban to say maybe it's a good thing to, to not always try to buy the finished product. And it, it, it's two things that, that allows them to trust in youth. Um, one is a manager that has legendary status that might be given a little more time where you don't get time as a Chelsea manager if you don't win trophies. So he, he can... He can risk playing the youth, and other managers couldn't afford that luxury. Um, but also, he's got talented young players. And, and hudson Adoy's is back in training. He'll be back soon. It, it's, it's not like I remember when Tim Sherwood was at Spurs, and it was like, I don't have much options, so I'm going to put some of these young guys out here and, and see if they can do it. You know, there's a lot of options. There's William and Pedro, but he's got young players ready to challenge for those roles, and it's exciting. It's exciting, but it's not going to bring him a title. Does it, so, need to, does it need to right now? Well, it doesn't need to right now. So that's why it's OK. And that's why it's somewhat encouraging. And I agree with what you say. But Chelsea fans want them to win the Premier League title. And if the consequence of this ban is that a Mason Mount comes through, that a, a, a Tammy Abraham proves, proves himself and everybody that he's a Premier League scorer, then when the ban is taken away, and then when they bring in some players, if they go, go down that road again where they want to they win it again, then you benefit from, from two or three that might come through, even more than that, that might come through to be... Very, very good, not just effective players in this league that might, Chelsea might finish anywhere from 
fourth to sixth, but they take a two or three that go through to sort of like, right, that's part of a group that's going to win the title. That's the longer-term advantage. But right now, Chelsea are not going to win the title, but this is still acceptable. And let's not forget Ruben Loftus-Cheek could be, could be close yeah. to him back soon. And that in the, in the middle of the park is one issue he needs solved right now. Yeah. It's another exciting young player. And Loftus-Cheek, or also an academy graduate. Perhaps Chelsea have to go from a short-term club to a long-term mm-hmm. viewing club uh, for the first time in a while. Time now for another new segment this season, The Boot Room. We're here over on the other side of the studio, The Boot Room, or perhaps we should call it The No Sock Room. (laughs) The new graphics, uh, where it costs a lot, we cut budgets. I can't get socks anymore. Fashion, apparently. Um, (laughs) This is where we discuss a couple of big topics. And yesterday, I'm sorry, we have to discuss VAR, chaps. And in your opinion, VAR yesterday, Musty, I'll start with you, Mm. made its first... Big error in the Manchester United Palace game with a Martial penalty that wasn't given by the on-field ref and he was backed up by VAR. Yeah, and I think up to this point, it's been fine. And this disappoints me, confuses me immensely because these pictures from these, these slow motion, these angles, it's so definitive. Yes, I think we can all agree here that he cannot, the referee, get a really good sense of the amount of contact, the arm over the shoulder, there was players in between, he's reaching around, and the angles that we saw there, that the VAR officials will see the same, and for me, and for us, and for everybody, I think, that I spoke to, think, that is a foul, that's not okay, that's why VAR is there, so it just, I was shocked really that it wasn't given uh, because that is the exact reason why we bring it into the league. The protocol is that the VAR in the Premier League match centre in West London looks at that and decides, has the on-field referee made a clear and obvious obvious error by not awarding the penalty? And you believe that that is a clear and obvious error by the referee on the field. So that's why VAR should clear that up and say, you haven't seen it, probably. It's a clear and obvious error. We've got to fix that. And it didn't. Well, and, and here, uh, uh, it's, it's a bit of semantics, but I'll say he didn't make an error because he couldn't call a penalty because he couldn't see what we all could see. Okay, he didn't make uh, an yeah, error, so, but it was an error yeah, in the decision. And, but I, I'm agreeing with you in saying that if you were going to do a presentation on why we need VAR, you'd show this clip. You would say, the reason we need VAR is the, the game is so hard to referee. It's fast. There are angles. There are players in your way. There are things you cannot expect a referee or his assistants to catch. This referee, from this angle, has no chance at seeing the arm that grabs the shoulder and pulls down Martial and continues to pull him down the whole play. And so what VAR was brought in for, and I, I feel like we're, we're losing the origin of why we needed it, was to say, no problem, you didn't make a mistake, we've got your back, we saw the pull, and it's definitely a foul, and it should be called. Can I just add something, Rebecca? Yeah. An important part of this whole process is what we learned we went to Stocky Park and, and, and we experienced how it worked, is there's communication as well, by the way. There's communication from the referee at the time. He might have said, Carl, it's all right, I got a good sense of it, I think they're grappling together, this is what, and it's not enough for a, for a penalty. Mm. So, and then the VAR listens to what he says. It's, it's very important what he says. If he, the referee on the field says, I got a good sense of it, guys. I think I saw the contact, not enough for me. And, and, they've, and they've backed him up. And, of course, the big part here is the high bar. A very high bar, we got talked, said lots of times, we don't want to keep stopping. It's a very high bar for what is a clear and obvious error. Now, for me... That goes through that on that particular play. But for the officials at VAR, it didn't. It wasn't high enough to, to make a change. It's very crucial, as you, as you were saying, Robbie, to understand that it's very much what the referee is doing on the field and what he is saying. Exactly. And 
they want to not re-referee games. They don't want to undermine the referees. Mm. So if the referee said that and says, I've got a sense that actually it's not enough for me, all VAR can do is advise the referee and can right. say, sure. just to let you know, we would say that is a penalty. And it's up to the on-field referee to then back himself yeah. or go with his mate in Premier League match centre. Now, would you not, though, in that situation, those referees are colleagues, co-workers. They're helping each yeah. other out week by week. You would like to think he would go with his mate back at Premier League Match Centre. However, we don't know yeah. that they even decided it right. was a penalty. I mean, listen, before VAR, uh, assistant referees could communicate to a, to a central referee, whether it was through an earpiece or going over and talk to them. Th- this existed before VAR, where referee's assistant said, I think that was a penalty. I think that was this. And sometimes the central referee says, thanks for the information. I don't agree. Mm. So, so this is an extension of that where... I just feel that um, this is a subjective call and subjective is dangerous. And I love the bar they're setting to say, listen, we don't want to interfere with the call unless we really think we should. This is a situation where I think there are two things. They don't want to interfere and they don't want the referee to go look at a screen, which he's allowed to do on the side because it takes a lot more time. So they basically said, because we don't want those two things to interfere with subjective calls and for him to look at a screen, I think they're just way they're overcompensating and, and they didn't help the referee in this situation with VAR? Here's a question. So Manchester United got one penalty, which they missed, and they were denied two others from VAR and the on-field referee. Last season, without VAR, do you think the outcome of the game at Manchester United yesterday would have been different? Would it have been a Crystal Palace win without VAR? Last season. I I think they would have got one of those penalties. Mm. I do. Oh, we don't know. They would have converted it with their current rate. <laughs> we don't know. But you think they'd have got I one without VAR? I one of those. I, I, I just do. But, again, this, this is why we're here. And, and the fact that this wasn't given, overturned, makes my interpretation of where that bar is, wow. It's really, really that's high. The then what's the point of bringing it in? I know, but that's the point, is that it's the game-changing decisions that referees are now asked... If, if, you, if you think it's offside, wait. If you think it's a foul, just wait. We, we can back you up. So it's almost like there's a psychology to say, I'm not going to make this gigantic call be, because I, I know I've got this backup. I've got this VAR support. So it's like, mm. you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to ruin that trust because trust in the way they're using VAR is everything. You have to trust the guy that's in the booth. It's one mm. person and one person on the field basically saying, are you sure? Are you sure? Mm. And they're going for it. And one person is not a committee. Just finally, Very quickly. It's, the, it's, the, it's the only mistake so far, by the yeah, way. It's been exactly. a lot of games, it's been, it's and it's been, been okay, really yeah. good. It's very early days. Let's move on oh. to the other topic of conversation. We were watching Chelsea and Arsenal and Manchester United over the weekend. Right now, Robbie Musto, which manager, Lampard, Solskjaer or Emery, would you want to be? Which position would you want to be in? Ooh, uh, Frank Lampard. Because? Because the expectations are a little lower. You ask me what I would... I would love to work with young players. I think he loves to work with young players. There's a freshness about the project that, for me, is not the same at the other football clubs. There's a different pressure and expectation at Arsenal now with the experienced players that are already there shuffling through what his best team is. United with the expectations on Martial and Rashford. With, with Lampard, I feel he's got a little bit of leeway... It's a young, exciting team with Pulisic coming in and Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham scoring goals now. And we are probably going to flip-flop as the weeks go on because like, they're going to be inconsistent. But I think Frank Lampard, I quite fancy his job right now. <laughs> That's an interesting answer because I reckon a month ago you might not have had... You might not have made that choice, but now having seen the likes of well, Mount and the, Abraham, the question yesterday. of what I would, which job right I'd now, take, I yeah. think that's a fun one. 
huh? Yeah, um, I see that. And I, I like the Chelsea project because you get to be the first to demonstrate what the academy is capable of giving first team opportunities to young Chelsea players. Um, I'll, I'll make an argument for Emery in that, and, and this kind of changes the question a little bit, that um, it's less about the club and more about the person that's in the position. It's hard to go back as a legend. To go back as a legend like Solskjaer has to do at Manchester United. Go back as a legend um, at Chelsea. I, mean, I think of Alan Shearer and others where you say there's more, to, there's more at stake than you losing your job. I mean, you can kind of hurt your incredible status with this club where but he's just, super just frank. Up, but doesn't it give you a leg up in terms of the initial it, expectation it to- of pressure? It, yeah, so it, 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 it gives you more time but more to lose. So, so you have more yeah. time to get it yeah. right but much more to right. lose if you get it wrong. And so I just think... I look at Chelsea and, and I think there's a project there. And I look at Arsenal and say, they're not that far off. I mean, that top three, you know, if you had Pepe, Lacazette, Aubameyang, I love Ganduzi. I think it's a talented player. With Torreira and Ceballos, there's, there's stuff there. It's just they're missing two buys. You know, they're missing a, a deep midfielder that's consistent, that can, that can give them something strong. They're missing a center back. A- outside of that, I see a project with so, much in, so many ingredients and I think lower expectations than Chelsea in that they're not expected to win a title, but mm. Chelsea, Chelsea are. We were talking just earlier on in our pregame about the problems that you both felt Emery had yesterday with his decision-making, his in-game management, his substitutions that didn't come until the 80th minute. Mm. And I think the first one was Torreira, not mm. Lacazette. Mm. Is that not a big issue that your Arsenal fans are concerned yeah. with his in-game game tactical management listen of course he's he's an experienced manager and he's a success it's just when you look at it i think everybody could see the advantages he gave the opponents given that tight diamond with liverpool's fullbacks that are so good assisting and it's like when it doesn't work and they're 2-0 down change it and that's what surprised me most about change what you've got you've got some good options the squads you know there's some good attacking options why didn't he change his setup you were both crying out for that and I can't answer why he didn't do that Rebecca I just can't I can't answer it's also hard to answer why he starts games the way he does this is going back to last season where Arsenal ended up being a lot better once he made changes or in second halves when he finally kind of got the personnel out there Mm. of the formation that's right this game was, was, was none of that because he waited so long to switch to what made them better. And to go back to your first question, um, you know, the group that brought him in, Emery, is not there anymore. But, but Arsenal are the only big club, if you compare them to Chelsea and, and Manchester United, that have a director of football, that have a structure behind the scenes, that have this clear recruiting process. So, you know, he's not going to get as much time as, mm-hmm. as uh, you know, Solskjaer, Solskjaer and, Lampard. and Lampard because there are people behind the scenes that their job's on the line too because mm-hmm. they pick some of these players. And, and, and they spent some money. Yeah. I mean, they spent a lot of money. And they decided to go predominantly with Pepe. And, and the money went on him. Now, we, I'm not sure we've got enough time in the boot room to yeah, talk about if you defensively. Don't play, yeah, if you don't play these guys play, right away. And, and then you spend less on a David Luiz that was, what, $10 million. Should more of that money have been spent on a better defender? Possibly. So, big decisions from the football club. Mm. OK, it's early season yet, and he's got some good options, Unai Emery. Mm. Let's kind of figure it out now, because I believe they are better than last year. But as we saw yesterday, they're still a way off the likes of Liverpool and Man City. That does it for this edition of the Premier League on NBC Podcast. Be sure to check out other episodes where you'll get a collection of our most spirited in-studio debates as well as exclusive on-site access. Plus, don't miss out on Premier League mornings on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern on NBCSN. I'm Rebecca Lowe. Bye for now. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 